Welcome to the Grow to Amazing podcast, episode number 11. This is Tony Mays, your host, and I'd like to start off today just by saying thank you to everyone who has watched, who has listened, both on YouTube and on your various podcast platforms. I really appreciate the time you have taken to invest in my podcast, and I'm so grateful for the opportunities that I've had to host the podcast. It's been a real game changer for me personally, just to take the time to be able to put this on and to explore ways that I can grow within myself and rise above some of the challenges I've faced and share some of my challenges with the world. Uh, it's scary, but it's also it's also something that's helped me to uh, shed some light on some things and just help myself realize that that I've got areas that I can grow, but there's a lot of growth that I have done and I need to be thankful for that I've had the opportunity to do that. So I, I, like I said, I just wanted to say thank you. I hope you've gotten something useful out of this and that the guests and the book reviews and, and just the talks that I've had on here have been something that's, that's met a need somewhere for you somewhere in your life. And that's the goal that I'm taking moving forward with this every day that I, that I record this, every day that I talk, every day that I put something together. It's with the goal of trying to make myself a better person and to try to give content to people to help them out in some way, shape, or form. So if you can, please take the time to rate the podcast, subscribe, share it with your friends. If you think there's something useful in there, I would really appreciate that. And the more growth we can get, the wider audience we can bring this to, the the more it's going to mean to me and the more it's going, well, I'm, I'm happy with it where it is right now. So I can't say that. I just want to be able to bring this to as many people as I can. And the way that one of the ways that can help me do that is through, is through the, the audience uh, doing the helping to get it there. So uh, I really appreciate it. And I just hope you can take some time to, to help me out there. So let's get on to this week's topic. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. That's obviously a quote from Teddy Roosevelt. It's included in the book that we're gonna talk about this week and that book is called Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. And this may be a bit of a controversial topic for me to take on today, uh, but it's an important one for me. And I think it's going to be an important one for the other guys that, and for, for anybody listening to this, I think it's going to be an important topic for women to help understand the men in their, li in their lives better, for the men listening, both for themselves and for their children. And, and anybody, anybody I think that, that has, that masculine type presence in their lives or doesn't, I guess this, this book can be an understanding uh, or a beginning of the understanding of the journey that it takes to be uh, a man, a father, 
and a husband in today's world. And I don't think it's, I'm going out of line here to say that masculinity in today's world is under attack. And, and I don't mean toxic masculinity, like guys with their ego going all out and getting in people's face or guys thinking that they need to rule their households with an iron fist or beating their kids or even letting their ego out of line at work. That's not what I'm talking about today. That's not what I'm talking about at all. So when I say masculinity, I think that that's even got a negative connotation today when people look at it. But what I'm talking about is really from a man's perspective, what does it take to be your own true self, to live your own true life, to be a man, to be a father and a husband, and be a positive influence on those that are around you in your life. And that's something that we don't hear about a lot today, other than we should just do better than we're, than we're doing, or that we're not doing enough, or that we're doing too much and that our egos are getting in the way or all the negative press that's out there. I mean, I'm looking at Yahoo right now when there's a report on there of an NFL player killing himself and his whole family. Uh, Hugh Hefner basically taking advantage of younger girls at the Playboy mansion. Uh, other reports on just men going off and letting their egos control what they do in their lives and things like that. And so today I'm kind of taking it from the perspective of this book and how a lot of men don't understand where they need to take their lives or how they need to li live their lives. And that they're always trying to change themselves to meet some definition of what a man is in the world's viewpoint. And this book talks about that and goes really in depth about how do we understand what we need to be in God's world. So yes, it is a faith-based book as well. I'm not focusing on those for the podcast, but this is one that has definitely meant a lot to me. And I think it codified some of the struggles that I've had over my life is understanding where I fit in this world, what my job was as a man, as a father and as a husband, and how do I just be myself and live my life and find my direction within that whole enterprise. Heck, that's part of the reason I'm doing this podcast is because I wanted to be able to share some of my struggles with the world, but I also wanted to be able to help people and, and learn from other people and be able to bundle that all together into a platform that, make, that can make a difference. So finding that, but finding that path, I really struggled with for the longest time. Probably my entire adult life, I've been searching for something, validation, for justification, for ego, ego salving and 
just stroking my ego and making me feel valuable. I, I'm not going to go into some of the reasons why I'm like that. Um, simply because I, I don't know, I, we all have struggles in high school and grade school and, and different things like that. And they do talk about that in this book that it does trace back to something of a father wound. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get into it. And I don't think I'm alone. I think every man that comes out of a family has some level of a wound from their father in, in some way, shape or form. I'm not criticizing my dad for anything that he did while we were being raised. We had struggles just like any other family. We, things were tough at times. My dad worked his ass off to provide for our family. And he, he was, he was, he was there and provided and we had fun as kids. We had toys to play with. We had a warm house over our head. My parents are still married after, well, they're closing in on 60 years of marriage now. And my dad's an inspiration to me. At the same time, that doesn't mean everything was perfect. And I think I took a lot of that imperfection with me into my adult life and let it define some of my struggles as an adult both with relationships and personally understanding myself, my direction within work and never really understood, I don't think why I was struggling at least until the last five, six years. So that's, that's part of my story anyway. And that's, and that's what this book helped to codify was kind of understanding a bit more kind of the icing on the cake. I think, I think I'd already been discovering this along my faith journey was that I had invested too much in things like worrying about what other people thought of me about worrying what my ex thought of how I did things of worrying about appearances and stroking my ego and, and those kinds of things. And so I think it, it really, as, my, as I became closer with God, it, it was a way of transforming myself and renewing myself and letting go of some of those chains. And that started the whole process. But this book kind of talks about the why behind that, about why did I feel that shortcoming? Why did I feel less than, less than whole? Why did I feel like something was missing? And so it's, like I said, it's really enabled me to throw off some of the shackles of those shortcomings that I felt or that I allowed to experience in my life and try to stay, take steps to move forward. So some of that is our family adventure that we're going on and starting in a little over a month, we're going to be on the road traveling full time in an RV and sharing you know, introducing my boys to those adventures of exploring and learning and just being together as a family and pushing my own boundaries as well. But it's also more than that. It's doing this podcast. It's, it's living my dream of doing some writing as well. 
and I haven't talked about that a whole lot, I don't think, on here, but I've got some books under development that whether they see the light of day or not, they're going to get written, and I'm well on the way to working on them. And I appreciate the people uh, that have helped me out on that path, and some of the author, or while the one author I've uh, with the published podcast, Mike Rothman, has given me some good hints. Uh, I've got another author podcast coming on shortly, hopefully, uh, if we can finish the recording on that. And all those have been a true inspiration to me because they're self-made authors. I mean, every author is a self-made author, but these guys have built their own worlds and kind of wedged themselves into that writing uh, environment. And that's what I'm looking to do. So even at 51 years old, I'm reinventing myself. And so it's never too late for anyone to do that. So that quote that I had from Teddy Roosevelt kind of defines the, the book of you've got to get yourself in the arena, but you got to do it in the right way too. You can't just charge in like a bull with your ego and your, your uh, temper up and, and just start thrashing around. You've got to do it in the right way and you've got to do it in a way that serves God and that fulfills your true core need. So I'm going to read a few experts and then kind of talk excerpts from the book and then talk about it a little bit and just kind of introduce things. But the book starts out kind of talking about why Wild at Heart and, and how did the author see the need for a book like this. And it really comes from his own journey as well. And I think that's why it touched touched home for me is because this isn't just something he's making up. This is a journey that he had to walk. And this is John Eldridge. He's got a bunch of other books out there, but he took the step at middle age to leave his comfy career and do uh, and begin a life of, of writing and putting words on pages and, and turning this into a new career for him as well. So Adventure with all its requisite danger and wildness is a deeply spiritual longing written into the soul of man. The masculine heart needs a place where nothing is prefabricated, modular, non-fat, Ziploc, franchised, online, microwavable, where there are no deadlines, cell phones, or committee meetings, where there is room for the soul, where finally the geography around us corresponds to the geography of our heart. Look at the heroes of the biblical text. Moses does not encounter the living God at the mall. He finds him, or is found by him, somewhere out in the deserts of Sinai, a long way from the comforts of Egypt. The same is true of Jacob, who has his wrestling match with God, not on the living room sofa, but in a wadi somewhere east of the Jebok in Mesopotamia. Where did the great prophet Elijah go to recover his strength? To the wild. As did John the Baptist and his cousin Jesus, who is led by the spirit into the wilderness. Whatever else those explorers were after, they were also searching for themselves. Deep in a man's heart are some fundamental questions that simply cannot be answered at the kitchen table. Who am I? What am I made of? What am I destined for? It's fear that keeps a man at home where things are neat and orderly and under his control. But the answers to his deepest questions are not to be found on television or in the refrigerator. If a man is ever to find out who he is and what he's here for, he's got to take that journey for himself. He's got to get his heart back. And I like how this kind of ties in to the first guest that I had on the podcast, John Luthens, 
that just sounds exactly like the journey that he had to take where he, he had to find himself. He had to walk a path that was less trodden and still continues to walk that path. But I think it's a journey that every man has to take, that every man has to go on and is going to be different for each man. Doesn't have to be backpacking out in the middle of nowhere. Not every guy is going to have that path, but you have to get in touch with the Lord and with your heart. And you can't necessarily do that sitting in the office, answering the phone all day long or spending time playing Monopoly with your family or something like that. Not that those are bad things. No, I'm not saying that at all. Let me draw the example of deer hunting for me. So I used to deer hunt when I was in high school. Everybody did it back then. Everybody even got out of school Thanksgiving week, typically. Our school was probably three-fourths empty during Thanksgiving week just because it was deer hunting season in Wisconsin. And I was not alone there. But then once I graduated high school, for some reason, I just stopped. And I think a part of that was my denial of, of who I was and where I came from and probably some of the pain that I had experienced, like I said, not intentionally, not inflicted on me in a cruel or, or, or abusive way, not at all. So mom, aunts and uncles, anybody that might be listening to this, that is not the problem. There's nothing that my family did wrong. It's just the circumstances. I felt I pushed a lot of the issues that were going on in my high school or during my high school days and let them affect me in a way that pushed me away from my true self. And that meant that I walked away from things like deer hunting, from getting close with my dad, from spending that time in the woods just being. And it took me over 20 years before I was able to start to set that aside. Actually, it was more, yeah, yeah, it was almost 20 years, more than that. And, but I, I finally got to the point where, and, and that's a whole different discussion, but I was able to set aside that and forgive that and learn enough from it and have the faith that God loved me and that I was enough just as I was that I finally found peace in my heart. And I realized that I missed it, that I missed being out in the woods, that I missed testing myself, that I missed spending that time with my dad and, and just being able to share stories, being able to shoot, being able to feel the cold, the trees, the, the weather, everything about that experience was something that I deeply, deeply missed. And so we started going again. I brought it up. We, we found a way to get, get started hunting again. And every year since then has been awesome. My dad's had some health struggles the last couple of years, so it's been tough for him uh, to be out there. Hopefully that's better this next year, but unfortunately I don't know that I'm gonna be in Wisconsin next Thanksgiving uh, to go hunting just because of our travel plans. 
uh, and that's going to kind of break my heart a little bit. Um, but not that it, yeah. But uh, it's it's been one of those healing things for me and my boys, my younger boys, my seven-year-old has just, he's saw that as a defining characteristic of what, of just, you know, just what it takes to grow up and be a guy. I'm not saying for, for anybody else that it's got to be like that, that it's got to, um, but the whole hunting experience with my kids is, I'm not saying it's, like I said, it's, it's each individual journey is something that somebody has to walk through. And that's what this book talks about. For us, my kids absolutely love that stuff. They love getting out into nature. They love animals. They love hunting. They love just being out there and getting after it. And it has really shown me that I need to be hands-on as a dad with them and encourage them and test them and test myself so that they can see me failing and struggling and, and, and pushing myself and doing things like that. So I think that's, that's just been a great part of the journey for me to try to rediscover what is fundamental to my soul. And that's where this book kind of goes a little bit. Corporate policies and procedures are designed with one aim, to harness a man to the plow and make him produce. The business world where the majority of American men live and die requires a man to be efficient and punctual, but the soul refuses to be harnessed. It knows nothing of daytimers and deadlines and P&L statements. It longs for passion, for freedom, for life. As D.H. Lawrence said, I am not a mechanism. A man needs to feel the rhythms of the earth. He needs to have in hand something real, the tiller of a boat, a set of reins, the roughness of rope, or simply a shovel. Can a man live all his days to keep his fingernails clean and trim? Is that what a boy dreams of? And I think I've really seen that with some of my friends, with some of, with myself, like just buying a truck to go on this RV journey there's just something about having and driving a truck that is pretty cool. And I used to have an, a couple of, I've had a few SUVs, but for, it is what it is at this point. But for the last few years, we'd been driving a minivan, but moving to a truck and having a dually pickup truck at the same time is freaking awesome. And I see, I've seen it with my friends, like when they went and bought a boat, and just being able to learn to pilot and 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 keep that boat in between the in the water and and back it in and and it's not showing off it's 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 having that skill and i and even for that particular person who is is successful he's a great business leader he's doing really well i think that experience of having that boat and learning that skill and taking that step and having his kids along for the journey has been an important one in his journey for him along with others as well but society at large can't make up its mind about men having spent the last 30 years redefining masculinity into something more sensitive safe manageable and 
well feminine it now berates men for not being men and then alas there's the church christianity as it currently exists has done damage to masculinity when it's all said and done i think most men in church believe that god put them on earth to be a good boy problem with men we're told is that they don't know how to keep their promises be spiritual leaders and talk to their wives or raise their children but if they'll try real hard, they can reach the lofty summit of becoming a nice guy. That's what we hold up as models of Christian maturity, really nice guys. We don't smoke, drink, or swear. That's what makes us men. Now let me ask my male readers, in all your boyhood dreams growing up, did you ever dream of becoming a nice guy? Ladies, was a prince of your dreams, dreams dashing or merely nice? What is a Christian man? Don't listen to what is said. Look at what you find there in church. There's no doubt about it. You'd have to admit a Christian man is bored. And I, and I think I'm lucky in that respect at the church that we go to, First Free in Alaska. I'll keep pimp, uh, pimping it, I guess, talking about it, advocating for it. Our pastor, Shane Holden. I don't think you could call him anything but a man. <laughs> and, but, but he's not pretentious about it. He just loves working out. He's ripped. He's, he's Shane. And he's not afraid to speak his opinion. But he is one of the gentlest, most kind, and most godly people I've ever met in my life. He's raised an awesome family but he would be the first to say that he has flaws. We all have flaws and his family has flaws. His family's not perfect and he would never pretend they are, but he understands who he is and he understands his relationship with God. And I'm not saying that I'm trying to emulate him. I'm trying to walk my own path. I'm trying to figure out what ticks for me and what boxes I want to explore and what things that I want to do as part of my life. And that's my challenge for, and I'll talk about that more at the end, but that's kind of my challenge for everyone on here is to take a look at where you fall short in life. But this goes out to the guys, especially this week, and to the women that have guys in their lives. Some women want a passive man if they want a man at all. The church wants a tamed man, sanitized, hairless shall a man. It all comes together as a sort of westward expansion against the masculine soul, and thus the heart of a man is driven into the high country, into remote places like a wounded animal looking for cover. Women know this and lament that they have no access to their man's heart. Men know it too, but they're often unable to explain why their heart is missing. They know their heart is on the run, but they often do not know where to pick up the trail. The church wags its head and wonders why it can't get more men to sign up for its programs. The answer is simply this. We have not invited a man to know and live from his deep heart. But God made the masculine heart, set it within every man, and thereby offers him an invitation. Come and live out what I meant you to be. God meant something when he meant man, and if we are to ever find ourselves, we must find that. Instead of asking what you think you ought to do to become a better man or woman for my female readers, 
I want to ask, what makes you come alive? What stirs your heart? The journey we now face is into a land foreign to most of us. We must head into country that has no clear trail. So yeah, he's got lots of allegories in here. He's got lots of, of uh, pictures that he's drawing. And it doesn't mean you have to go backpacking for a month out in Colorado by yourself to try to discover yourself. That's not what it's saying at all. But you have to look and explore and go down that path of discovering what it is that stirs your own heart. There are three desires I found, find so find, I find written so deeply into my heart. I know no I know now I can no longer disregard them without losing my soul. In the heart of every man is a des desperate desire for a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. I want you to think of the films men love, the things they do with their free time, and especially the aspiration of little boys, and see if I'm not right on this. Capes and swords, camouflage, bandanas, and six shooters. These are the uniforms of boyhood. I think I've talked a little bit about my, my seven-year-old wanting to make a spear. We whittled a spear the other week. We've been rabbit hunting. We've been, <laughs> he wants to make a bow and arrow. This kid is crazy for stuff about masculinity. I don't know if it's masculinity, nature, hunting, just getting out there and getting after it. But little boys yearn to know that they're powerful, they're dangerous, they're someone to be reckoned with. How many parents have tried in vain to prevent little Timmy from playing with guns? Give it up. If you do not supply a boy with weapons, he will make them from whatever materials are at hand. And I know I've heard Jocko say this on the Jocko Willink podcast that you, take, you give a boy a stick, it turns into a gun. And I think that's just emblematic of what's inside of many of us. I'm not trying to say it's across the board. Not every boy is the same, so this is not a blanket statement that just because you don't like guns, you're a wussy or weak or cowardly or anything like that. That is not what I'm saying. Not everybody's the same. Everybody has a different feeling inside them. But for a lot of boys, that's exactly where they go, and that's where my boys go. Aggression is part of the masculine design. We're hardwired for it. If we believe that man is made in the image of God, then we would do well to remember that the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. Exodus chapter 15, verse 3. Little girls don't invent games where large numbers of people die, where bloodshed is a prerequisite for having fun. Hockey, for example, was not a feminine creation, nor was boxing. When my boys play with their aunts, uh, <laughs> Usually they're playing house, they're playing Barbies, they're playing family type stuff. Uh, when, they're, when they're not doing that, they're going off hunting there. And that's because that's usually what the girls want to do. They don't want to do like the war games. They don't want to do things like that. A boy wants to attack something and so does a man, even if, if it's only a little white ball on a tee. When boys play at war, they're rehearsing their part in a much bigger drama. One day, you just might need that boy to defend you. Life needs a man to be fierce and fiercely devoted. 
The wounds he will take throughout his life will cause him to lose heart of all he has been trained to be is soft. In every relationship, something fierce is needed once in a while. So how am I doing that with my boys? I'm not being cruel to them. I'm not being, I'm not punishing them when they fail. I'm not uh, pushing them beyond what they can do, but I am pushing them and they're pushing themselves and I'm letting them fail. I'm letting them, I'm letting them grow up to be boys that are inquisitive, boys that have the courage to try new things on their own, boys that aren't afraid to go out and see what they can do with something, hopefully. My oldest, Adam, has done a lot of this largely in spite of the mistakes that I made as a first-time father with him. I think I tried, you know, I bought lots of Nerf guns when he was little and we did lots of that kind of stuff and, and uh, did lots of playing and lots of time together. But it, at the same time, it, I think I held back a little bit. Back when Adam was little, I didn't really know. I, I struggled a lot. I didn't have my, my close faith relationship with God at the time. I didn't, uh, I was making a lot of uh, personal mistakes. I was just struggling with where my place was. I was trying to make everybody happy. I was trying to make his mom happy. I was trying to make, uh, I was confused in so many different ways about who I was and where I was going that hopefully well, I can't say hopefully. Adam has turned out to be an awesome kid, despite anything I may or may not have done. And I thank God for that every day. And uh, so I hope we have a lot more adventures together, him and I. So a boy needs a battle to fight, whatever that battle might, might be. When you get older, the longing for battle may have been submerged from years of neglect, but a man may not feel he's up to the battles he knows awaits him, but the desire is there. Every man wants to play the hero. Every man needs to know that he is powerful. So think back to Gladiator, Saving Private Ryan, Top Gun, Die Hard, Magnificent, Magnificent Seven, the movies a man loves reveals what his heart longs for what is set inside him from the day of his birth. Do you want to walk that hero's journey where you start down a path, you find obstacles, but you triumph? An adventure to live is the second part. We need wilderness. Wild at heart is not about becoming a lumberjack. I'm simply searching as many men and hopefully women are for an authentic masculinity. So something like the recipe for fun is pretty simple raising boys. Add to any activity an element of danger, stir in a little exploration, add a dash of destruction, and you've got yourself a winner. <laughs> and that's, that's exactly it with my boys. Throw them on the snowmobile here at my father-in-law's, uh, get, 
get the BB gun out to go hunting rabbits. I mean, my boy could do that all day long. Go bike riding, go crazy hopping in the Jeep, go this just this adventure of going on the road. I don't think they really understand yet how much of an adventure it's going to be and how out of the norm it is. But these guys will spend all day on the trampoline just bouncing and cracking each other's heads and and going crazy and wrestling and and it's just awesome. Compare your experience watching the latest James Bond or Indiana Jones thriller with say going to Bible study. The guaranteed success of each new release makes it clear. Adventure is written into the heart of a man. And it's not just about fun or having fun. Adventure requires something of us, puts us to the test. Though we may fear the test, at the same time we yearn to be tested to discover that we have what it takes. That's why we set off down the Snake River against all sound judgment. Why a buddy and I pressed through, on through grizzly country to find good fishing. Why I went off to DC as a young man to see if I could make it in those shark infested waters. And I think that's why we've, Jill and I have pushed through with this RV journey is because it seemed like such, so many obstacles standing in our way of making it happen, that we had to do it. And that it just seemed like the adventure of a lifetime for us to walk this path. Now we may get six months down the road and hate it, but at least we got ourselves out there and, and took a chance on it. And I don't think we're gonna hate it at all. I think we're gonna love it. It's not to say there's not gonna be challenges, there's gonna be breakdowns, there's gonna be repairs, there's gonna be all kinds of stuff going on at, at one point or another, I'm positive. But it's the point of getting out there. Can we do it? And the third is a beauty to rescue. There is nothing so inspiring to a man as a beautiful woman. She'll make you want to charge the castle, slay the giant, leap across the parapets, or maybe hit a home run. A man wants to be the hero to the beauty. What would Robin Hood or King Arthur be without the woman they love? Lonely men fighting lonely battles. It's not just that a man needs a battle to fight, he needs someone to fight for. And I think that's what the family that I've had in the military, uh, the friends that I've talked to, the people that I've heard is that just from a military perspective, these people are fighting to defend or giving of themselves for horrible pay to even worse living conditions sometimes to put themselves on the line for our country. Remember Nehemiah's words to the few brave souls defending a wallless Jerusalem? Don't be afraid. Fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. The battle is never enough. A man yearns for romance. So you got to, it's, it's that balancing act of putting yourself out there, walking that journey. And, but it's not just the battle that you're fighting. It's not today's meeting that's going, that's going to be tough. It's why are you doing that? And having that sense of self to know, I am not this meeting. I am not failing or succeeding, but I'm doing this for something either bigger than me, or this is not about me, something along that path. 
There are also three desires I found essential to a woman's heart, which are not entirely different from a man's, and yet they remain distinctly feminine. Not every woman wants a battle to fight, but every woman yearns to be fought for. She wants to be wanted. She wants to be pursued. And I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast or not, but the night that Jill and I got engaged, we had one of those all-out couple brawls that, not a brawl, but a big fight about communication and about being on the same page, about whether or not we were in a spot to continue as a couple. And she just had questions about how committed I was to our relationship. And for the first time when we had this, that definitely wasn't the first time we'd had that argument. Uh, I went after her when she stormed out of, out of my house. We weren't living together. We weren't engaged or married yet. Well, obviously, but I went after her and I pursued her and brought her back in the house and showed her the one thing that I had that could demonstrate my commitment to her. To say she was a little shocked, but touched in her heart. And of course she accepted, because here we are 11 years later, is beside the point. Every woman also wants an adventure to share. She wants to be cherished, pursued, fought for, but I also want to be strong and be a part of the adventure. A woman doesn't want to be the adventure. She wants to be caught up in something greater than herself. And I'll apologize to women that I dated prior and to even my ex and, and things like that, because I think that's I was looking for validation in the women that I dated before. And and I can't say it wasn't even really true with Jill either because I didn't really understand myself or love or what a truly good marriage could be at the point that we got together. Thank God, thank God, thank God for my wife and, and her heart and God's heart in, in working with us. But we were able to get through those times and be able to get to where we are today. But we are taking this journey together. My wife's actually out painting our RV right now, that, which is a whole other story. We just buy a brand new RV and Jill wants to paint it, make it home. And I struggled with that. But this is her journey too. This is her adventure too. And so she's got to have a part in it too. It can't be all about me. It's got to be our adventure. And that means let Jill paint the damn camper. So every girl is sitting there as a girl of five or six, singing her heart out. Do you see me? Asks the heart of every girl. And are you captivated by what you see? The world kills a woman's heart when it tells her to be tough, efficient, and independent. Sadly, Christianity has missed her heart as well. Walk into most churches in America, have a look around and ask yourself this question. What is a Christian woman? Don't listen to what's said. Look at what you find there. 
There's no doubt about it. You'd have to admit a Christian woman is tired. All we've offered the feminine soul is pressure to be a good servant. No one's fighting for her heart. There's no grand adventure to be swept up in and every woman doubts very much that she has any beauty to unveil. And again, I think I am so very lucky at our church that I don't think this is the, the wide state of affairs at First Free. I think women know or they should know how much they're valued, how much they're loved, and how much they're needed to be the complement to the masculine part of their family. And that we couldn't do it without them, and that we wouldn't want to. So what if? What if, what if those deep desires in our hearts are telling us the truth, revealing to us the life we were meant to live? God gave us eyes so we might see. He gave us ears that we might hear. He gave us wills that we might choose. And he gave us hearts that we might live. A man must know how, must know he is powerful. He must know he has what it takes. A woman must know she's beautiful. She must know she's worth fighting for. Your heart is in there. And so this, this is not a book about the seven things a man ought to do to be a nicer guy. It's a book about the recovery and release of a man's heart, his passions, his true nature, which he's been given by God. It's an invitation to rush the fields at Bannockburn, to go west, to leap from the falls and save the beauty. For if you're going to know who you truly are as a man, if you're going to find a life worth living, if you're going to love a woman deeply and not pass on your confusion to your children, you must get your heart back. You must head up into the high country of the soul, into wild and uncharted regions, and track down that elusive prey. And so that's kind of the introduction to it, setting the stage for the problem. And the next section is kind of defining where man came from. So going all the way back to the days of Adam, and drawing a picture based off of that and helping us to understand where the soul of man comes from. And how can we break things in our children when they're little enough or when at the, at the start of growing up? But have you invited your boys to be dangerous? I've noticed that so often our word to boys is don't. Don't climb on that. Don't break anything. Don't be so aggressive. Don't be so that. Don't be so noisy. Don't be so messy. Don't take such crazy risks. How many times have I said that myself? Don't jump off the top of the couch, Will. Be fierce, be wild, be passionate. Now, none of this is to diminish the fact that a woman bears God's image as well. The masculine and feminine runs throughout all creation. There's the sun and then there are the moon and stars. There's the rugged mountain and there's the field of wildflowers that grows upon it. A male lion is awesome to behold, but have you ever seen a lioness? There is also something wild in the heart of a woman, but it is feminine to the core. Often when I'm with a woman, I find myself quietly wondering, what is she telling me about God? I know he wants to say something to the world through Eve. What is it? And after years of listening to the heart cry of women, I'm convinced beyond a doubt of this. 
God wants to be loved. He wants to be a priority to someone. God wants not merely an adventure, but an, an adventure to share. He didn't have to make us, but he wanted to. Though he knows the name of every star in his kingdom spans galaxies, God delights in being a part of our lives. His heart is for relationship, for shared adventure to the core. God has a beauty to unveil. There's a reason that, reason that a man is captivated by a woman. Eve is the crown of creation. If you follow the Genesis narrative carefully, you'll see that each new stage of creation is better than the one before. And what's the last one? We start with nothing and Eve is last. There's so much more to say. These are not hard and rigid categories. A man needs to be tender at times. A woman will sometimes need to be fierce. But if a man is only tender, we know something is deeply wrong. And if a woman is only fierce, we sense she's not what she's meant to be. If you'll look at the essence of little boys and little girls, I think you'll find I'm not far from my mark. Strength and beauty. As the psalmist says, one thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O God, are loving. Psalm 62, chapter 11, verse 12. So what are some of the questions that haunt every man? And it begins with a story about a lion living in a cage at a zoo. A lion no longer even believes it's a lion and a man no longer believes he's a man if he's been caged too long. There's a guy who lives behind us. He spends his entire weekend in front of the TV watching sports while his sons play outside without him. the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation, Henry Thoreau wrote. And the line from Braveheart has it, all men die, but few men ever really live. Without a great battle in which a man can live and die, the fierce part of his nature goes underground and sort of simmers there in a sullen anger that seems to have no reason. A few weeks ago, I was on a flight to the West Coast. It was dinner time, and right in the middle of the meal, a guy in front of me drops the seat back as far as it can go with a couple of hard shoves back at me to make sure I knew what was going on. I wanted to knock him into first class. So many men, good men, confess to losing it at their own children regularly. Guilty. Even now. I mean, I still make mistakes with my boys and get frustrated and short-tempered. It was probably worse when Adam was little. Where did those frustrations come from? Is it selfishness? Is it ego? Is it it's so many different things? And it changes from day to day to day, which is the hard part about it. Men are angry and we don't really know why. Why are so many men addicted to sports? It's the biggest adventure many of them ever taste. Why do so many others lose themselves in their careers? Same reason. I know guys who spend hours online e-trading stocks. There's a taste of excitement and risk to it, no question. And who's to blame them? The rest of their life is chores and tedious routine. 
It's no coincidence that many men fall into an affair not for love, not even for sex, but by their own admission for adventure. So many men have been told to be responsible. All that's left are pictures on the wall of days gone by and maybe some gear piled in the garage. If a man does not find those things for which his heart is made, if he never even if he is never even invited to live for them from his deep heart, he will look for them in some other way. Why is porn the number one snare for men? What makes pornography so addictive is that more than anything else in a lost man's life, it makes him feel like a man without ever requiring a thing of him. The less a guy feels like a real man in the presence of a real woman, the more vulnerable he is to porn. I can relate to And so a man's heart driven into the darker regions of the soul, denied the very things he most deeply desires, comes out in darker places. Now a man struggles, his wounds and addictions are a bit more involved than that, but those are the core reasons. And you know what? We all know it. Every man knows that something's happened, something's gone wrong. We just don't know what it is. This is every man's deepest fear to be exposed, to be found out, to be discovered as an imposter and not really a man. Yet he wonders, can I, will I, when the going gets rough, when it really matters, will he pull it off? And I still feel myself like that at times today, definitely. Living here with my in-laws, my father-in-law is a great mechanic. He can definitely do all kinds of things that I can't with machines and ha and hacking together solutions to mechanical problems and coming up with ideas. And it can definitely be intimidating if you let it. But we can, we've found kind of a shared ground because that's what I do with software. I solve problems. I find innovative ways to work with my customers and deal with their challenges. And so we've got kind of a good respect going for that. One of my brothers-in-law is really getting into carpentry and woodworking and things like that. And it's something I've thought I'd want to do, but I haven't made a priority. I've got another cousin of Jill's that's is huge into guns and I'm trying to get into that and grow a bigger, uh, not arsenal, but at least explore what I want to do with that. And I know where I want to take it. It's just, it's going to take a little while but it makes me feel like something of an imposter of a man because I can't do those things. And that's my ego talking. That's my insecurities talking. That's my weaknesses talking. But there's also doubt within me of, am I really a man if I can't do X? Honestly, how do you see yourself as a man Every man feels that the world is asking him to be something he doubts very much he has it in him to be. Are words like strong, passionate, and dangerous words you would choose? Do you have the courage to ask those in your life what they think of you as a man? Me, what can I really do? I mean, really? I know how to operate a fax machine. Can I shoot a gun? Can I do X? Can I do Y? Can I do Z? 
That's how most men feel about their readiness to fight. So to live with risk, to capture the beauty, we have a whistle. You see, even though the desires are there for a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue, even though our boyhood dreams once were filled with those things, we don't think we're up to it. Why don't men play the man? Why don't they offer their strength to a world so desperately in need of it? For two simple reasons. We doubt very much that we have any real strength to offer. And we're pretty certain that if we did offer what we have, it wouldn't be enough. Something's gone wrong and we know it. Most men think they're simply here on earth to kill time and it's killing them. But the truth is precisely the opposite. The secret longing of your heart, whether it's to build a boat and sail it, to write a symphony and play it, to plant a field and care for it, those are the things you were made to do. That's what you're here for. Explore, build, conquer. You don't have to tell a boy to do those things for the simple reason that it's his purpose. <clears throat> but it's going to take risk and danger, and there's a catch. Are we willing to live with a level of risk God invites us to? Something inside us hesitates. He doesn't even mention it so far as we know. Good grief. Why not? Because God believes in Adam. Our first father, the first real man, gave in to paralysis when Eve ate the apple. He denied his very nature and went passive. He doesn't say a word, doesn't lift a finger, he won't risk, he won't fight, and he won't rescue Eve. Because Adam was right there in Genesis. He could have stopped her. He could have done all of this. But the temptation of Eve and the passivity of Adam... led us to where we are today. He failed as well, so it's not just on Adam's shoulders, but Adam didn't help things out. Eve, Eve is a life giver, she's Adam's ally. It's so both of them that the charter for adventure, it is to both of them that the charter for adventure is given. It'll take both of them to, to sustain life. When Eve was deceived, the artistry of being a woman took a fateful dive into the barren places of control and loneliness. Now every daughter of Eve wants to control her surrounding, her relationships, and her God. No longer is she vulnerable, now she will be grasping. No longer does she want to simply share in the adventure, now she wants to control it. And I think that's some of the story, well, I, yeah, not going to talk about my first marriage from that perspective, so... I think that's definitely a part of the picture that was there. Uh, I'm not gonna talk about my ex's failings in that regard. And I apologize if she does hear about this, that's not, not intending to say you had failings or whatever. Both of us contributed to what happened in our marriage. I just know that I spent that time trying to be something I wasn't, that I wasn't comfortable with who I was, that I didn't feel confident in who I was and that I had my share of blame in that relationship. We hide in our office, at the gym, behind the newspaper, mostly behind our personality. Most of what you encounter when you meet a man is a facade, an elaborate fig leaf, a brilliant disguise. 
Any day now, I'll be found out as a pretty common theme among guys. Feel like a poser. We pick only these, those battles we're sure to win, only those adventures we're sure to handle, only those beauties we are sure to rescue. Let me ask the guys who don't know much about cars, how do you talk to your mechanic? I know a bit about fixing cars, but not much. And when I'm around my mechanic, I feel like a weenie. So what do I do? I fake it. I pose. And this is a big one for me. Or how about you fellows who work in the corporate world? How do you act in the boardroom when the heat's on? What do you say when the big boss is riding you hard? Jones, what the devil is going on down there in your division? You guys are three weeks late on that project. Do you try to pass the buck? Uh, actually, sir, we got the plans over to McCormick's department uh, to the bid to bid the job weeks ago. Do you feign ignorance? Really? I had no idea. I'll get right on it. Maybe you just weasel your way out of it. The job's a slam dunk, sir. We'll have it done this week. Years ago, I did a tour of duty in the corporate world. The head man was a pretty intimidating guy. Many heads rolled in his office. The plan, my plan was basically to try and avoid him at all costs. When I did run into him in the hallway, even in friendly conversation, I always felt about 10 years old. What? Punch of posers trying to be guys that they aren't. Are they taking ownership? Are they taking responsibility for what they're doing? Are they opening themselves up to failure and criticism? I know I see that every day in one way, shape, or form. So Adam falls in Genesis and all of his sons with him. I know Christian men who say the most awful things to their wives, or they kill them with their silence, a cold, deadly silence. I know pastors, warm and friendly guys in the pulpit, who from the safety of their office send out blistering emails to their staff. It's cowardice, all of it. We are all fallen and broken and undeserving of the grace of God. I just think some of us don't realize it. And he says, and this next part is good. A sergeant from the same division agreed. I don't know of a single fist fighting bully, but what he makes a cowardly soldier. The violence, no matter what form, is a cover up for fear. What about the achievers, the men running hard at life, pressing their way ahead? Most of it is fear based as well. For years, I was a driven type A, hard charging perfectionist. I demanded a lot of myself and those who worked for me. My wife didn't like to call me at work for, for, as she said, you have your work voice on. Your fig leaf is showing. All that swaggering and supposed confidence and hard charging came out of fear. Fear that if I did not, I'd be revealed to be less than a man. And I know Jill has said that to me. When I throw my sales voice on, when I get to uh, um, talking like I'm selling her something or talking like at work she can tell when I'm kind of posing are you a passive guy are you passing on the sins of the father along Abraham's a good man a friend of God but he's also a coward I know many like him men who can't commit to the women they've been dragging along for years men who won't stand up to the pastor and tell them what they really think Pastors and Christian leaders alike hide behind a fig leaf of niceness and spirituality and never, ever confront a difficult situation. Guys who organize their paper clips, men who hide behind the newspaper or the television and won't really talk to their wives or children. Hey, all I avoid with the best of them. 
So, talks about the wounds. And the one thing I wanted to point out, you can't teach a boy to use his strength by stripping him of it. We suggest that a boy who's mocked, shamed by, before his fellows, stripped of all powers and dignity, should stay in that beaten place because Jesus wants him there. You'll emasculate him for life. From that point on, he'll be passive and fear, fearful. He'll grow up never knowing how to stand his ground, never knowing if he's a man indeed. You can't turn a cheek you do not have. Our churches are full of such men. We must not strip a man of strength and call it sanctification. Yet for many, many men, their souls still hang in the balance because no one has ever invited them to be dangerous, to know their own strength, to discover that they have what it takes. Why on earth would a young man have to ask permission to be a man? Because the assault continues long after any wound has been given. A man's not wounded not once, but many, many times in the course of his life. Nearly every blow ends up falling in the same place against his strength. Life takes it away one vertebra at a time until in the end he has no spine at all. What are boys told in our culture? Our culture's turned against the masculine essence, aiming to cut it off early. The aggressive nature of boys is inherently held to be bad and we have to make them something more like girls. The primary tool for that operation is our public school system. The main obstacle to that noble goal is getting the boys to sit still, keep quiet and pay attention for an entire day. I, yeah, I, I don't know that I fully agree with everything but I, that he's saying in here and I don't want girls to take it personally. But I think there's a lot to that, especially with schools cutting back recess, cutting back playtime, cutting back iteration and, and interaction. And especially in these COVID days, it's, it's taking a lot out of the kids. Rather than changing the way we do male education, we try to change males. And I think people hate that idea that, that boys can't have to be, or could be, could need to be taught differently than girls. I think there was a school across Central had tried probably 10 years ago to have classes specifically for boys and, and classes only for girls. And for some reason, even though that was beyond successful because the boys got taught differently and in a manner that worked more for them and the girls were able to blossom in an environment where they weren't feeling intimidated by teenage boys, society hates that type of concept. Why can't we all get along? Why can't we all be the same? Well, because really we're not made that way really boys and girls are different and it gets me to the quote that well gets me to the quote in here or gets me close to the quote that i wanted to get to for this entire book 
And it has to do with how do you balance that masculinity need, that need for every man to test himself with your family, with yourself, with your kids. And it gets down to the emasculation in marriage and emasculation in life. Women are often attracted to the wilder side of a man, but once having caught him, they settle down to the task of domesticating him. That's kind of like what we were just talking about with schools. And it gets me to the quote. You mean I should let him get the motorcycle? Yep. Invite him to be dangerous. I know you're right, but I hate the idea. I've made him tame for years. Think back to the great big lion in that tiny cage. Our society produces plenty of boys, but very few men. There are two simple reasons. We don't know how to initiate boys into men. And second, we're not sure we really want to. And I follow so many people, so many men on Instagram that are an inspiration to me. Tim Kennedy, Jocko, Jason Gardner, JP Donnell, B. Roberts, Justin Wise, Ed Milet. You guys all rock and I'm working to live my life as well in that fashion. The strength so essential to men is also what makes them heroes. The Nazis were stopped by men. Definitely lots of women there too. Who gave their seats up on the lifeboats leaving the Titanic so that women and children wouldn't be saved? There are many heroic women. What he's saying here is simply to remind us that God made men the way they are because we're so desperately need them to be the way they are. And there's a lot more that I wanted to go through. I'm just going to summarize the rest of the book because it's, it's dealing with the battle of, the, of a man's heart. And how do you heal that battle? And it talks about building that relationship with God to know that you are enough as you are. And to take the time to be quiet, to listen, and to listen to yourself, to listen to God. And to explore what is my heart telling me I need to do. I'm not saying you abandon all responsibilities, that you jump ship on your marriage and leave your kid, wife and kids. But are you doing, are you living your life in a manner that leads your family and shows them and allows yourself to be the man that you truly want to be in your heart? Ask yourself questions to understand that and take those steps forward. Because until you do that, until you find that path forward, you're not going to know God, you're not going to know yourself, and you're not going to be able to fulfill your part of the contract with your wife. Or be able to if you're still single. You don't have to find all the answers today. You don't have to find them all tomorrow. I'm still searching every day and I still fall short every day. But I'm trying to take this one step at a time to help me get to be in a better place.
But you have to invite Jesus into the wound. We ask him to come and meet us there in the broken spots of our heart, to enter into the broken and unhealed places of our heart and help us discover and heal and grow. There's some grieving you have to do. It's not just discovery and healing. You've got to grieve a little bit for what you've lost, but you can't turn it into regret. You can't turn it into always looking back and, and pining for the days of old because then you're just worshiping that idol one more time. But you also have to let God love you just as you are. You are good enough just as you are. Why can't you let God love you and get into your heart? Throw all your stuff to him. It's that simple. God already knows what's in there anyway, but you got to bring it to him. You got to lay it out all on the table and throw it to him. Ask for forgiveness for the mistakes you've made, but then explore all those pain, pain and wounds and places where you're broken and God will help you heal. And then you can take a position of strength and walk that walk one day at a time. So I think I'm going to stop there. Again, read this book. There's a companion workbook that goes along with it. I actually still need to get it and go through it, but I'm going to do that. There's a daily prayer in here to rescue. There's some prayers for sexual healing if, if that's one of your struggles as well. But this book is a, is a workbook to get you going on healing and to help teach you what it takes to be a true man in your own life and to raise your children in a way that's going to let them be whole and strong and partners with the women in their lives when they grow up. To not let their egos guide them, to not let their wounds negatively affect their lives more than they absolutely have to. But more than that, it's to teach them how to understand and listen to themselves and to listen to God. To find their own path of strength and caring and love. And so my challenge for this week is to take that time to meditate with God, to explore and to write down and to understand what your issues are, what they might be, and to take those first steps to go down that path of understanding how the healing could work within your life. And it might just be a first step. It might just be a challenge that you take on to understand where you're at, but it's a first step. And that's usually the hardest one. The second hardest step, well, the second step is the hardest, is the second hardest, but it hopefully gets a little bit easier and you do a little bit every day. And before you know it, you're making improvements. And that's what I'm trying to do too, is get a little bit every, every day, a little bit better every day, fixing my own world, fixing myself, being a strong, useful man to myself and to my family and to those that I love and care about and putting myself out there too. I am not perfect and I fall short every day, but I'm trying. So do that, do the same thing with yourself and just give it a shot. Let me know how it goes. And if there's anything you disagree with on what I said in here, 
I'm happy to talk about it anytime. I'm happy to go through it and understand some different perspectives because I'm not saying I've got it all figured out. I'm not saying this book is perfect, but it definitely hit a sweet spot with me. So I'd love to hear from people about this. Anyway, we're going to be hitting the road on the camper pretty soon, hitting our own life of adventure. So I thank you again for reading the podcast. I'm doing my best to keep up with this, even in the craziness we've got going on right now. But uh, thank you so much for everything. But again, rate, subscribe, review, pass it on to your friends, and, and uh, I'll try to keep things interesting. Out. Mm-hmm.